0: Before we jump into this week's episode, I so, so, so appreciate your written reviews. It is incredibly meaningful to hear your feedback and how these conversations inspire encourage, and entertain you. So if you're enjoying the show and you want to continue to support the show, reviews make such a difference and they don't cost any money. You can leave a review by just scrolling to the bottom of wherever you're listening to this and hitting the five stars or writing what you've enjoyed about the show so far. Another fabulous and free way that you can support the show is to share the episodes you're listening to on Instagram or your favorite social media, Facebook, Twitter, I don't know, whatever you have. Screenshot and share to your stories in Instagram It makes me so happy to see you folks listening to this in your studios, on your commute, in your classroom, and to hear what your takeaways are. Don't forget to tag Teaching Artist Podcast so I can see it. And if you want to also tag my personal account, you can, and that is Potts Art, P-O-T-T-S-A-R-T. with Alicia Murnick's ability to so concisely and eloquently share knowledge about anti-racist pedagogy and critical multiculturalism. If you're not following her on Instagram, go follow her at Ms. Mernick Art, and I will link that in the show notes. She talks about how she's not only been through an incredible graduate program combining social justice education, Critical race theory and contemporary art, but has also been in the classroom putting that education to practical use for 10 years. This semester, she's freelancing while mothering her toddler and using her teaching skills to share her knowledge with other educators. Alicia gave some great author recommendations and an incredible resource list, and all of that is linked in the show notes and on the blog. Alicia Murnick is a visual art and social justice educator based in Los Angeles, California. She holds her MA in art education from NYU and has been implementing liberatory critical arts pedagogy in the K-12 classroom for over a decade. Murnick is a queer, Muslim, mixed-race woman whose commitment to equity work is both personal and political she says i believe in art-making as an intellectual activity which reflects as well as shapes our world i specialize in using contemporary art and inquiry-based instruction to teach students about identity social justice anti-racism and civic engagement I believe strongly in cultural pluralism and liberatory pedagogies, and I'm committed to decentering whiteness in visual art education. I am here talking with Alicia Murnick, and I am so excited to have you on. We've kind of connected through Instagram, but I would love to hear more of your background and your journey into art and into teaching.
1: Yeah, uh, well, thank you so much for reaching out to me and for having me. I savor any opportunity to talk about art education. (laughs) So this is fun. That's that's like a really big question. My journey to teaching, I have been playing make-believe school teacher since kindergarten. Oh, I love it. I did. (laughs) (laughs) All of my like required volunteer hours in high school and college were all coming up with my own after school art clubs and after school art classes. And it's funny looking back on it, realizing how clear it was what I wanted to do especially with most of my peers having really struggled to kind of find their place. Like I,
0: Mm
1: I am really doing what I wanted to do when I was a kid.
0: I love that. Um, Yeah.
1: (laughs) My, my story for teaching art, I I was also really inspired by having a horrible art teacher in high school.
0: Uh, I feel like I've heard that from other art teachers. It's like, yeah, makes you want to not be that person.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I just, I felt so limited and, and shut down in that class. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we did things like knit pillows and just very kind of crafty, kind of mindless, mm-hmm. you know, fun work, but it, it felt very meaningful or meaningless.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that has actually inspired me quite a bit. I, I, I don't want to get too negative, but yeah, (laughs) that was it. It was a big motivator for sure.
0: And then were you also like making your own art outside of wanting to teach art?
1: Yeah, my undergraduate was just studio art. Mm -hmm. And I did, I feel like I have always been an artist in the way that we tell kids that they're all artists. Um, I was always choosing that way to entertain myself and express myself. And I always loved going to museums and I loved any art class that was available at our community center. I was there. And my college experience, I, I studied painting and drawing and I was good at it, but my, at some point I guess I kind of realized I didn't really want to try to make a living as an artist. Yeah. And I was very thankful that I wanted to be a teacher. Also, I, I did an internship with a working artist in New York. And through that experience, really got to know the gallery circuit and the fundraising circuit and, you know, going to very wealthy people's mansions out in the Hamptons and being incredibly oh. polite to rude people to try to get them to fund like the moving expenses to move these canvases to the gallery show. Oh. It it was so businessy, it really, really turned me off to that part of my dream. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And was that you talked about wanting to be a teacher since you were so young. So I guess I'm curious where like majoring in studio art came in instead of just like going straight <laughs> into teaching. I I mean, I was,
1: yeah, that is a good question. Actually, I was just really good at art and I wasn't actually good at the rest of school. I had an undiagnosed learning disability. I had an auditory processing Mm -hmm. disability, what they're now coolly calling invisible disabilities. So Mm -hmm. I, I really struggled in school. And the one area that I was always kind of proving myself as capable was art class. And so when my, and my dad, my parents are really very kind of like funky hippie types. He said, you should study art. And I thought no parent (laughs) in history has ever told their kid to major in art. I have, I'm going to do this. I have to do this. And it worked out. It was great. I, I still, I wouldn't want to teach anything else. This is 100% what I think is, like, (laughs) the best thing that you can do with your life is create things. And I I loved studying art. I loved all that experience. And I still love making it when I have time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) which is rare now. (laughs) Yeah. Do you feel like having, like, being diagnosed with those learning disabilities, like, that was sort of a turning point for you? Like, Uh, did that, did it feel like... somebody's (laughs) acknowledging?
1: It did. I was previously under the misconception that I was just lazy Mm -hmm. and I don't know, like resistant in class because that's what I was hearing from all of my teachers. Right. And I didn't get diagnosed until college. (sighs) And in college, I got the accommodations and the understanding and the empathy. And I was just so frustrated that I had been misunderstood in that way. Mm -hmm. I do think, you know, going back to teaching, like I tell my kids on the first day of class, this about myself, and I tell them my accommodations, and they're all very, like, cool about it.
0: Yeah. And I
1: I like to think that it's making my students with disabilities more comfortable, too.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that was kind of the follow up, like, if you feel like it impacts your teaching, or makes you maybe more aware even of the potential, like invisible things going on. Yeah, Yeah. for sure.
1: Absolutely. I, you know, in, in addition to having the disabilities, like I was just a really, like a lot of young artists are, I was a really unhappy teenager. I was Mm -hmm. so pissed off about how, you know, how screwed up the world was and how I didn't want to, you know, I don't want to just grow up and participate in this machine. And, you know, I was so antsy, And when I have students now that are, you know, struggling with depression or emotional disturbances or disabilities, I absolutely get this like, you know, they earn a little special spot in my heart where I see Mm -hmm. myself and I see the authenticity of their struggle. Like they are not just using it as an excuse to turn in bad work or to, you know, play video games instead of doing their homework. Like I, I believe I believe in these challenges for kids.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I feel like having those experiences is so important for teachers. And if you haven't had them yourself, like somehow figuring out a way to sort of understand that. Totally. Yeah. And kind of along those lines, I feel like I've just been so impressed with how you are able to concisely in some ways synthesize these really big, tough ideas about how to teach, you know, be an anti-racist teacher, teach, you know, critical multiculturalism. I feel like they're (laughs) complex, like complex, difficult things to kind of wrap your head around. Yeah. In some ways, but the posts that you've been putting out that are just, I feel like you have a nice way with words and kind of simplifying it. I'm a teacher. (laughs) Yes, I'm a teacher. It's like one right now. (laughs) No, it's
1: it's funny. I so, God, okay. So I have a lot to say. Yes, yes. One, I'm not working this semester, and it is because arts are always the first thing to get cut during Mm. a crisis, and because of COVID, you know, there's just no, there's nothing I can do, at least not full time. I've been picking up a lot of part time, like DEI work and writing gigs and little things. But yeah, basically, other than those little things, I'm keeping my toddler alive, I have a lot of extra, <laughs> a lot of extra time. So in order to feel like productive, in this moment where I'm watching the rest of the world, you know, how do I help? How do I become an activist? Like, what can I do right now? Like what I do is Teaching, And so if my avenue right now for teaching is the internet, that's, that's what I've been doing. So the, the, posts, <laughs> <thanks>. <laughs> the, yes. the content of the posts, though, are a reflection of just the really kick ass education that I got. I did a master's at NYU in re- exploring intersections between social justice, education, critical race theory and contemporary art so oh, that's amazing all of the big words all yeah. the big things and that was about a decade ago so i've i've also been practicing that for 10 years and getting this right. really hands-on and nuanced understanding about what liberatory pedagogy looks like in the arts room mm-hmm. i also like so earlier, when you were asking, like, what's my what's my story, like, how did I get here? I think it's a different question from how did I become an art teacher to how did I become this, like, yeah, weird kind of why yeah. am I radicalizing <laughs> children? Uh. Is a very different question. And for that, I also want to blame the high school art teacher that I hated, <laughs> because my art education from K through sixteen was so Eurocentric and I was completely uncritical of it. I wanted to paint like Van Gogh. I wanted to draw like Escher. I wanted to sculpt like Rodin and I got really good at it because I loved it and I wanted it so much. And then I I would look around my home and we're, my, my family's Persian and around my home there was a lot of Persian carpets and miniatures and, uh, you know, paintings and fabric and lots of textile. And I thought it was so gaudy and so tacky. And I didn't think it was art. Uh. And (laughs) it wasn't until late in college that I started becoming curious about like, my own heritage and, and, you know, what that difference was for me. And I started making, I started making Persian miniature style work. And getting very deep into kind of like my self-discovery and figuring out that Persian art actually is incredibly complex and beautiful and technically fabulous and all of the things. Yeah. And that feeling of, of knowing how much my high school teacher, like unconsciously and completely inadvertently made me hate myself <laughs> and hate my culture and think it was tacky, like that is a right. so Oh. That's the harm. I really, really wanted to flip that on its head in my classroom.
0: Yeah. So follow up to that is sort of how do you do that, and how would you like? What would your advice be for art teachers? How do I do that? I <laughs> I know that could be like so this whole this whole talk books and books yeah. <laughs> books and books it yeah it might be
1: i it is books and books so maybe i'll yeah. start with that is maybe some suggestions yeah yeah paulo Freire, pedagogy mm-hmm. of the oppressed liberatory pedagogy like it is all there it is all there for how to teach in a way that is empowering and uplifting without being mm-hmm. a savior yeah Bell Hooks builds on critical pedagogy but incorporates her experience as a black woman artist. Yeah. Lisa Delpit, Maxine Green, Carl Young, believe it or not, has really influenced yeah. my teaching practice. Yeah, so I I say like the biggest advice I have is just read. Yeah. And I know that's people don't want to hear that because it takes so long.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <It> takes <laughs> uh, a long time. There's audiobooks. <laughs> there are
1: audiobooks. There are. It still takes time. (laughs) Yeah, and nobody can say it better than the OGs. I really feel Mm -hmm. that. That said, (laughs) uh, how do I do that? I start my class off first day of school. I ask the kids to list all of the artists that they know, and I write it on the board. And then I ask them what these names on the board all have in common. And they are, without fail, 95% dead white men yeah so we takes a little bit of pulling but they identify that it is european from the past and all men will maybe get like frida kahlo in there it's the little like token right or like <laughs> token georgia O'Kee. celebrity yeah no not even my kids oh. never
0: say her i wish oh. she um, was the one woman i knew as a kid like as a teenager totally yeah.
1: <laughs> her works beautiful
0: yeah i love i um, still love her But there are are a lot of other women that make (laughs) art.
1: (laughs) There are so many more. So I I do this exercise with the kids, and then I just, I like ask them to break into small groups and just reflect, just like reflect and discuss. And then I pull Mm -hmm. it back to the whole class, and we have a big conversation. And that's my like first day of school. So I'm really setting the Mm -hmm. tone there, that there is an awareness of how Eurocentric our art museums and art history and art education is. And mm-hmm. I, I tell them I, I promise you that I will not, I will not continue to do this to you. And then yes. the rest of the year is primarily contemporary artists of color, yes, um, <laughs> mostly women and queer persons and gender nonconforming persons, and you know all of all of the things. Mm-hmm. Because I don't want to teach them anything they already know. Yeah. That story's already been told, you know?
0: Over and over.
1: Over and over.
0: Yeah, I feel similarly with which artists I'm going to bring in. It's like, they're all alive. And, you know, they're, yeah, students are going to see a million Van Gogh sunflowers in the course of their schooling. Like... (laughs) They're
1: already getting it.
0: Yeah. They've got plenty of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh. I... I also, I think that a lot of these conversations tend to stop at diversity. Like, how are we diversifying our curriculum? Who are we including? Mm-hmm. And it's important to also examine your classroom from the perspective of classroom culture and and how these these artists are being taught. Because I think that yeah, you referred yeah. to like the, the critical multiculturalism posts. Like, it's all about that. It's about how... In traditional kind of you know we're gonna have a World's fair at school and everyone bring their favorite dish from their culture like how does traditional multiculturalism actually harm students? yeah and in the classroom and in the art classroom especially there are a lot of ways that you can accidentally teach artists of color that are that are still hurtful and still harmful and objectifying
0: yeah. And what would you say, just, I don't know if you can pull out any examples of that, or maybe it's better to say examples of like, what would be the right way to do that, to introduce?
1: Sure. I think, yeah, let me see if I can think of an example of, I mean, the the cookie cutter perfect example that always comes to mind for me is making totem poles out of toilet paper rolls. That is yeah. the <laughs> most sacrilegious and offensive and you know it's horrible and then personally because i am persian i just hate seeing islamic arts being used to teach math
0: Mm.
1: where so you know for example islamic art is spiritual it is heavy it is an opportunity to gaze into a pattern that is emulating the infinity of the universe and reflect on your own existence. Like it's this very deep experience. And then to pull that into a classroom and have the only conversation be, here's one PowerPoint slide about the Islamic empire. And now we're going to talk about radial symmetry and geometry. Mm -hmm. And that's it. That's all that happens. I think that allows students to feel entitled to appropriate and colonize other mm-hmm. cultures' art. Mm-hmm. I think the alternative is teaching art by I guess by and about, you know, people of the global majority and mm-hmm. allowing those people's own voices to speak not only literally speak through artist statements and videos that you compare with the work, but to speak through the art. So when mm-hmm. art is about the self or society or the world or about social issues, then you are getting a taste of that person's perspective and that person, mm-hmm. that individual person, not this token of a culture that I'm right. trying to sprinkle onto my class. Yes.
0: Yes. Uh, Yeah. yeah. And I could, I could imagine (laughs) even just taking, like having the time, taking the time to fully experience. So you're not just popping up that one slide. You're like, yeah, you know, popping up the artwork as big as you could make it and like, just taking a moment with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Art is so much about creating an experience for people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also one of the reasons why it's so powerful as an activism tool. Mm -hmm. It creates an experience. You're not just talking at the viewer and telling them what you think. Mm -hmm. You are forcing them to empathize with the, you know, feelings and ideas that you are conveying. And there are so, so many amazing contemporary artists who are bringing up very real and important issues about our identities and about our world um that students really respond to and they really will have those experiences if you give them that time and that
0: space mm-hmm. yeah
1: i think a lot of teachers feel really rushed in the curriculum and there's this feeling like well it's an art factory like i you know we want to be able to make a project every week or every month mm-hmm. i will spend four to six weeks on a single unit and making a single finished art piece. Because to me, like that that process of not just understanding the artist that is inspiring, but understanding what do you want to say in this art piece? What are you putting into it? What are you learning about yourself or or researching about the world that you're going to be putting into this work? Mm -hmm. And allowing that reflective process to be just as much a part of the class as the technical and physical art piece that's being created
0: yeah absolutely I love that I feel so rushed all the time as well but I do feel like spending more time on research and reflection does not only the service of like educating them about you know what it is they're making art around who they're inspired by really like who is this Mm -hmm. but it also teaches them how to be an artist like you know we are I don't I mean, maybe I create things more quickly now, but I have had years and years of like researching and figuring out what I'm making and why I'm making. And and exploring, Mm -hmm.
1: like playing and exploring and discovering your style is not something you can do in a 45 minute period, (laughs) right? You need a lot of opportunities to play, to get a lot of feedback and, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know, and not just feedback from teacher, but peer feedback and internal, like personal self-talk is so, Mm -hmm. so important in coming up with your own voice and your own style. I, I feel much more strongly about uh, ensuring that my students are speaking their authentic selves through their work Mm -hmm. than I feel about them making something that is technically impressive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I teach younger, like I teach the elementary age level. So it's very different in some ways. But there's also Mm -hmm. that I feel like there's sort of a constant battle with myself, but also with like, what I think other adults are gonna gonna think about the the kid aesthetic versus the adult aesthetic.
1: Yeah, I, especially, I feel like art teachers are under so much more pressure than the average teacher to display our work around the school.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: If we had to put up (laughs) essays in the hallways as often as we have to put up art pieces. Yeah. I
0: just
1: I just want people to have a taste of what that feels like to know yeah. like, you know, you've got a hallway to cover. Yeah. I yeah, it's hard, but I, I think it's definitely worth pushing against that and and mm-hmm. giving kids the space.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you have them do much writing at all? Or is most of the reflection more oral? We do both. Our school is
1: gosh, 90 something percent English language learners, including mm-hmm. reclassified. And mm-hmm. because of that, I do use a lot of visual organizers and word banks. And there's a lot of writing before any time I ask them to speak, mm-hmm. so that there isn't as much stress around saying something in the academic way. Yeah, so I, yeah. I definitely we do writing we do Last year, I did much more asking students also to write proposals before starting a project. So actually, like, Mm -hmm. not just sketching in their sketchbook what they have in mind, but actually writing out a sentence of what is the art piece about. Mm -hmm. So they can start figuring out how to express that idea through through words. And then often that written proposal, you know, evolves and expands as they're actually working on the art piece and will be quite different from what their artist statement is at the end. Yeah. Yeah. But I I love including writing. It definitely it's a really good teaching tool. It's really good for structured kind of like self-talk and and opportunities for students to turn to each other and talk like having (laughs) having that action item, I guess, Mm -hmm. helps structure the artistic process for how to reflect and judge one's own work and also how to like turn that into goal setting instead of just criticizing oneself.
0: Right, right, man. I think I need to take a class with you. I'll send you my handouts. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: I feel like my writing about my own work is still, is still a struggle. Yeah. But I brought it up just thinking of what if we, you know, spend a month or two not putting up any artwork in the hallway and we put up mm-hmm. their writing in the hallway Mm. and just are like, here's the, you know, even if it's like this sentence and that sentence, you know. That counts. Yeah, yeah, like they're doing (laughs) work. There's a
1: lot of work. There's (laughs) a lot of work happening there.
0: Yeah. I am jumping in here to remind you that there is a little less than a month left to apply to our winter juried exhibition. The deadline is December 13th. So, get your submissions in. Submit your work at exhibit.teachingartistpodcast.com. The guiding theme for this show is change. How are you seeing change, coping with change, and being a change maker? We would love to be introduced to new artists. All submissions will be considered for our social media, podcast interviews, blog, and future opportunities. Artists working in all visual arts media and international artists are invited to apply. The show will be juried by the incredible artist and educator Chloe Alexander, who goes by the hapless printmaker on Instagram. She will be selecting works for the show and helping us select eight artists to do an Instagram live studio visit with. Then, Maria Coit and I will also be creating several lesson plans based on the themes in the show and on individual works in the show, and we will invite accepted artists to create optional brief videos about their process and inspiration. Videos have been such great teaching tools for me, which is what we would like to create. Maria and I are both artists, and we face rejection often. It's disappointing. But I also know that no one can get into every open call they apply to, so we just have to keep applying. As one way to give back to the artists who apply to our call and are not juried into the exhibit, we've asked our juror, Chloe, to offer feedback on all submissions. That's always one of the most frustrating parts of rejection for me, the not knowing what I need to improve. Was there something I could do better next time, or was my work just not quite a fit for this show? Our hope is that we can offer some helpful feedback for all artists who apply. Our dream for this exhibition space, Play Plus Inspire Gallery, is that it showcases and builds up contemporary artists of all experience levels, while also serving as a resource for teaching about contemporary art. We want to share your artwork and inspire young artists. We cannot wait to see your work. Submit your work at exhibit.teachingartistpodcast.com. I would love to get more into your artwork as well and like hear yeah. about th- your own work. Sure.
1: So I, I touched on this very briefly earlier, yeah. but my, my first series of artworks that I made that really felt like my work, instead of just emulating some European master I was in love with, <laughs> I did a series of Persian miniature style paintings about my own bicultural identity. My influences, I like one of the questions that you'd sent me was, who are your influences? And all I yeah. could think of were like 13th century Persian manuscript paintings, wow. uh, which were often like commissioned by the Shah or a uh, wow. Shah. Yeah. And Carl Jung.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> um, um, because it was b- pairing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and and they, they it was a pairing. It went beautifully together. I still, that completely shifted my, how I think about art as a tool for self-reflection. I would wake up from a dream and just, you know, three in the morning manically run over and grab my sketchbook and sketch out this like, you know, floor plan of a tower that I had to climb. And I just, I would draw out everything that happened. And then I would go back to sleep. And then over the next three or four weeks, I would be working painstakingly like under a magnifying glass with a, a paintbrush that literally has camel's eyelashes. Wow. Like <laughs> uh. like teeny tiny work and I would just be literally having a closer look at what had happened in my dream and interpreting wow. that and figuring out what the heck I was trying to tell myself and I learned so much about myself and my relationship with the world and my relationship with my spirituality and my family. It all came from this very slow, tedious meditative process of getting completely sucked into these these images.
0: Yeah. I yeah. love hearing that. That's amazing. Just yeah. The, the level of detail. I've been working, these are my tools right now. I'll show you. <laughs> I've been working with like a sewing no, pin cool. <laughs> <laughs> yep. and a little clay tool to do these tiny little clay things. Yeah, I
1: like an exacto knife was also a really key tool for me because, you know, traditionally you're working in, in gouache and gold leaf and gouache very much like a watercolor you can't really hit undo on anything yeah <laughs> so the exacto knife uh i would very very finely like just chip away at the paint oh. <laughs> if wow. i needed to you know undo something it is great i i don't know what part of my brain loves that kind of tdm but it is so calming
0: mm-hmm. it's so
1: relaxing and so calming for me yeah i love it
0: Yeah, it's like sort of meditative, just totally, totally. Oh, I love that.
1: I got to, I got to learn how to do real gold leafing at an atelier.
0: Amazing. In the
1: Hamptons. Remember I was telling you about all the rich people I met in the Hamptons. (laughs) I got to stay in a guest house and learn how to do gold, gold leafing for two months. Wow. It was the most ridiculously like wealthy feeling experience of my life but it's such a beautiful it's such a beautiful craft and mm-hmm. such a shame that you know I wasn't taught how to do this in college like there wasn't a mainstream way for me to learn this because it is a beautiful art
0: mm-hmm. it's beautiful yeah and i feel like what i see of it is maybe not being done the right way, I'm not sure is just like apply some adhesive and like stick it on and kind of like see what happens. (laughs) Yeah. Allow, allow for like the chaos. Yeah. 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 The, the
1: way that for Persian miniatures, because everything is so meticulous, Mm mm-hmm. You know, you're painting with those little camel hair brushes, and these perfectly straight lines that you like. You can't even use pencil underneath because the pencil line is going to be thicker than the line of the glue. Oh.
0: <laughs> so you—that's wow. another.
1: The exacto knife is also really good for that. You can score a, a line, and oh, then. Wow bead glue into it and then leaf over it wow there's something else it's insane it's insane and I, I I still like I can't believe it took me so long to appreciate them because for most of my life they really were just like you know these tacky reproductions around my mm-hmm. house that didn't look anything like what
0: I thought art was yeah yeah do you still feel like the reproductions like don't do justice to what you yeah, have kind of so. fell in love with? Yeah, <laughs> especially with gold leaf because yeah. How do you? Yeah, it's literally
1: illuminated. You know, it's an illuminated manuscript. You have to mm-hmm. see that light playing off of it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But there are there are you know even lacma like there are really good manuscripts that you can see in person and they're they're something else for sure.
0: Yeah. Uh, and what are the sizes? Like how big is a miniature? Um, You're looking yeah, up at one. I'm one. looking,
1: at, I'm looking <laughs> at one right now. That is probably yeah. eight by 10.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. But yeah. I you saw, uh, you saw the pictures.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yes. So
1: it's like, that's a lot. Super detailed. <laughs> yeah. <eight by> <laughs> oh. Yeah. They don't even another funny thing about trying to practice this art here is finding the materials like the the gold leaf is marketed towards gilding frames
0: mm-hmm. the
1: magnifying glass that i ended up using was this like you know like this arm that would attach to the table and this wow. huge magnifying glass would come over and it was marketed for people who do like dollhouses and dollhouse furniture
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so like
1: those are the versions the versions of miniature art in the us are like, let's make tiny versions of our houses.
0: Right. Oh. It's
1: just more, it's like mini capitalism, just more of that.
0: <laughs> oh, It made me think of my mom did jewelry when I was little, and she had this thing you would put on your head and kind of bring down <laughs> like glasses that were magnifying glasses. That sounds cool. <laughs> which might be helpful. <laughs> yeah. It looked kind oh, look of ridiculous. Like <laughs> But it was meant for like faceting stones, I think. Yeah, that's cool.
1: That's cool. (laughs) I like darky stuff. Like it reminds me of like Honey I Shrunk the Kid. It's like that kind of headset.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. That could be something. Get one of those, and (laughs) then you do some portraits of yourself wearing it.
1: (laughs) I just I just went off on this like trying to remember why am I thinking of Garth and Wayne's World? Like there's a scene where he's wearing. Something like that, but what was it? Uh,
0: Maybe he's nah, in yeah. like a tracksuit. Okay, this is too. Far. We'll have to <laughs> <laughs> now. We'll ha- like we'll have to look it up and find it later. <laughs> I'll rewatch it.
1: It's about time. I like to rewatch Wayne's World every few years. It's yes, yeah, it's
0: time keep it fresh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Other the other kind of direction I like to just hear about within your own art is like sort of the business side of it and whether you like show or sell your work and how you do any of that any tips on that okay
1: I I haven't shown work in a decade since I started teaching full-time yeah and I am very happy with that I the experience that I had in New York it wasn't even my art I think maybe that's it would be even more hurtful if it had been my art to have to participate Mm. in that gallery scene. It just, you know, it just like wasn't my scene, man. Yeah. (laughs) I Uh, couldn't hang, I couldn't handle it. So I, today I make arts, but it is very much for me mm -hmm. and for, for that process and for that experience. And I have, you know, it's like, it's not even that I gave up on trying to show art. I just one day stopped wanting to do it.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like it would ever come back? Like you would ever want to again? That's a hard question, to It is anyway. a really
1: hard question.
0: <laughs> oh, I, like, I, I can't predict the future.
1: <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen in my future. But I will say that the excitement and fulfillment that I'm getting from teaching is greater than the excitement that I was getting from showing art. Mm -hmm. And so in terms of just like picking priorities right now, like, you know, I'm a convert. I came over. (laughs) I am now a teacher's teacher through and through. Yeah. I don't think I'm ever going to stop making art.
0: Right. At all. And do you feel like making is sort of integral to your teaching? That's another good question. I think
1: making art is integral to being a good person. I think that my own, <laughs> this is probably a little more hippie than most of your interviews get. But my, I feel like my own spiritual well-being is one hundred percent tied to creative time yeah. and giving myself that creative
0: space. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So
1: I, I don't think I could be, I don't think I could be a good teacher if I wasn't a loving person (laughs) who has a lot of like hope in the world. And, you know, if I wasn't optimistic and joyful and all of those things, and I don't think I could be that if I wasn't making art.
0: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I feel like maybe we have, I don't know. I feel like I have talked about that with some people, And (laughs) it's, it's yeah, I'm not alone. Good. You're not alone at all. And I feel the same way. Like art is, there's so much therapy in it. Yeah. Just making,
1: but I also, I mean, I think that's why teaching feels so good sometimes because, you know, and I, I work with high school. I said this, like high school's a rough time. Like you are just starting to become conscious of what the real world is like, and it is Mm -hmm. horrible and you don't want to do it. And those are, A lot of really big feelings. I think the what would you call this like the self actualization that happens in the art room, I think is necessary for us to have healthy and happy adults that can function in society and being able to create space for kids to do that feels really good. It's, mm-hmm. it's weird. I feel like a missionary sometimes where I'm oh. like, you know, I have this great joy from this experience. Like, try it, you know. <laughs> You're proselytizing art.
0: <laughs> yeah, I am. Oh,
1: I love uh, it. I think it's, I really think art, it's good for people. I think it's really good mm-hmm. for people.
0: Yeah, to experience it, to make it, to go through that process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of it. Uh, okay. So a couple of other just like logistical things. I feel like you talked mm-hmm. a little bit about this semester you're not teaching, so there's more time, but what is your kind of week look like? Is it still oh God, pretty crazy?
1: I, so we it's so COVID related. We are too high risk to put my daughter in daycare. Yeah. So the majority of my day is keeping a Fourteen-month-old from climbing the bookshelves and jumping <laughs> off and killing herself. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, yeah. this it has taken up so much time. If we rewind to when I was teaching, though, yeah, you teach for like forty hours, you grade and lesson plan for an extra like five or six,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I was doing uh, like union meetings and activism three or four hours a week. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And the weekends and prep periods were when I would make art.
0: Yeah, nice.
1: Yeah, I really I, it's funny, prep periods I should have been using for work, but I needed that break. Mm. And so and I also just had so much more space in the classroom than I do in my home. Mm -hmm. It was really nice to be able to just spread out and play.
0: Yeah. So did you bring materials in that you would, and like kind of have your own like studio space set up? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I had like a box because it's miniatures, everything's small. So I Your little like box. a box of the fancy <laughs> gouache and brushes that no one else yeah. can touch, and yeah, I will say though that I, <laughs> I guess this is part of my art. I don't know, but I also really love using student materials and just mm-hmm. playing. Yeah. Acrylic paint is so cheap; you can make just whatever you want. So I do, so, I do so much experimentation during my prep periods. And yeah, I play and I made a lot of like weird and goofy things that were completely out of my style, which I think is important. I think it's important Mm -hmm. to like regularly push yourself a little bit out of your niche. Yeah. But also just because it's, it is less serious for me and it's less introspective and it was more just playing with
0: the material. Yeah. I mean, I feel like anything we're kind of expecting students to do, we should maybe be doing as well. (laughs) So totally. Hundred percent. All of that play.
1: Hundred percent. Yeah. And
0: do you would you also ever like be creating alongside students? Like if they're kind of in the flow? Yes,
1: totally all the time. (laughs) I during my art one classes I am constantly on my feet, rotating the room and kneeling down and checking in with kids Mm -hmm. and also, just a lot of chatting and talking. I think a big part of my teaching style is building community and, and being collaborative and, you know, showing that like love and respect for whatever, you know, whatever they're doing. And so I would be very, very present during those classes. But for my Art 1 class, where everyone just gets in the zone completely knowing what they are doing for, you know, half of the class period, Mm -hmm. I totally, yeah, like I sit down and I just play
0: with them. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like that's good for them to see as well. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Just seeing their teacher is also an artist and also interested in what, in like doing the same things that they're doing.
1: It's, It's interesting that also an artist, I used to bring in my my paintings, my little ones. Yeah, <laughs> the little guys. Yeah, I used to bring in my paintings more and actually pass them around the class. And in just thinking about this now, I realized I didn't do it last year. I didn't show the kids what I was making. <laughs> that was a real oversight. I really well, I feel like I missed an
0: opportunity. Next Whoops. time. Yeah. Next time when you're back. <laughs> yeah, there's always room for like fixing anything. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But I think, I think mean you're right. Like you you can't ask students to do anything that you're not doing yourself and I think that that includes the emotional like vulnerability and emotional poignancy of Mm -hmm. being your whole self in the classroom and Mm -hmm. and showing them work that is serious and important to you and Mm -hmm. you know similarly like I I show my kids family photos and I talk about my mom all the time and I cry in class (laughs) you know I all of that I I think if you want them to be full and authentic people in the class, like you have to do that too.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So much relationship building there. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like that's super, super important, especially it's always is, but right now.
1: Yeah. I, I'm a very social person and quarantine is tough. It is so, so beyond like boring. <laughs> <laughs> There are so many different parts of myself that are just unsatisfied. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's a universal experience for everybody who's spending most of their time in the house right now. But yeah, I, I miss being surrounded by 35 screaming teenagers. <laughs> I really do.
0: Yeah, I feel like I'm such an introvert at heart, which I say as I'm like, running a podcast. Nice. <laughs> but I really am like, I feel very comfortable kind of hiding out in my studio. But I see my daughter and like the students that I still have contact with at all, just mm-hmm. in such need of human contact and God, yeah, connection. Yeah,
1: art's good for that. Yes. it's a, It's a shame that it's always the first getting
0: cut Uh, so frustrating I feel like that could also be a big discussion yeah I'm teaching now but it's in a very different way and the schools I was working with cut art as well so yeah it's like the very first thing on the cutting board
1: it's ridiculous it's it's ridiculous. I yeah. yeah, that's a whole other podcast because I also have a lot to say about uh. the the equity issues around that. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, how when budgets are cut, like an art gets cut, like that's not affecting every school in the country. Right, right. That's that's <laughs> affecting the quote struggling schools. Yeah,
0: for some reason they don't need art.
1: <laughs> like no, no, no. no. I mean, that's, and not to be the social justice conspiracy theorist, but I I feel like that's a little intentional that the arts are not prioritized in like underserved schools. And I I think it's because art education makes you a creator Mm. more than a consumer. And Ah. we empower certain stratas (laughs) to create and everyone else is expected to follow and assimilate. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I know that that's very abstract, but it is a larger trend in our country's history that we have like a cultural hegemony and that that reinforces class dynamics and that reinforces the ability to oppress certain people. And I think that that is really mirrored by Funding inequities and opportunity inequities for art education.
0: Yeah, and it's such a fantastic way of teaching critical thinking, which you know you, we don't want totally. everybody thinking critically.
1: <laughs> like, <laughs> totally. I mean, look at the creative process. If you look at the creative mm-hmm. process or the what they call the design cycle, or it's, yeah. you know, you are basically asking students identify a problem, ideate, like come up with solutions get feedback on those solutions, try the solutions, reflect on your success, alter the path, and you just keep doing this creative, critical problem solving. That is social change. Like that is praxis. That is how we address problems that don't have a single answer. Uh, You know, why? Why aren't we prioritizing that?
0: Yeah, it's it does. I mean, when I say it's like, because the powers that be don't want us to do that. It does. It does sound like we're being conspiracy theorists. But it's it is true.
1: It's true. It's true. I think, you know, if it's, it's actually true. So I listened Mm -hmm. to this really good talk recently about just the history of the public education system. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we are we, the public education system, is a product of the industrial revolution. Like, we mm-hmm. wanted a quick and easy and super efficient way to get young people up early, following rules and ready for the workforce. Yeah, like, that is not an exaggeration. That is not a metaphor. Like, that's what the schools were for. And it was only maybe in the 60s that we started thinking like, okay, well, what about the whole child? You know, like, (laughs) let's do something a little bit more holistic. And then we stripped that all back in the 90s. Yeah. Ugh. So it's
0: real. Yeah. Yeah, it's real. Then there's all of the, what was it? Some talk. I'll ha- we'll have to like find these talks as well to share. Yeah, yeah. you link them all. <laughs> yes. Link everything. But just about w- that there's also those reasons behind the beginning of public education, why teachers are not paid very well and sort of disrespected, that it's like women's work which is also a whole other issue. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I I
1: mean, I haven't even, this is not the space, I think, to go into my entire we should unionize all charter schools conversation. But that is another really, really big part of my life. Like I Mm. spent five years on an organizing campaign where we eventually did win a union at our school. And yes, (laughs) thank you. but i am just it is so blatant the way that anti unionism today is just mirroring and mimicking the history of class oppression over the last 150 years like it is Ugh. the same playbook over and over and over again and yeah i really i think any complaint any issue that people have with their schools get involved in your unions mm-hmm. <laughs> You alone might be able to do something, but you with... Hundreds of people who agree with you can do
0: more. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like we're seeing we're seeing it play out in really disturbing ways with the pandemic in places mm-hmm. that are not unionized, mm-hmm. that are mm-hmm. forcing teachers to choose between their life and their livelihood. It's yeah, not okay. Not okay. We
1: <laughs> we don't value art as a culture. We mm. don't value education as a culture. We don't value you know. Love and spirituality, and I—I I have a whole unit that I do. This is <laughs> okay, teacher brain. I have a whole unit that I do on American visual culture, where I ask students to analyze advertisements and other instances of visual culture, and come up with this like mind map of all of the values that are being represented. And then I ask them to create an art piece that is satirical of what you have just discovered. And so they have to pick an American value to satire through like a parody or advertisement. And uh, the conversations that come out of that unit are so phenomenal. I'm learning from them constantly. Mm -hmm. And it's connected. We as a culture, like we have some work we could do on where our priorities are. (laughs) And who is in our universe of obligation and we have a lot of work to do. Yes.
0: (laughs) To say the least. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: But the creative process can help.
0: Yes. Yes. And thinking about that, I have a few more like get to know you questions. Mm -hmm. I always love this one. What are you curious about right now? Oh my gosh, what am I curious about? So
1: I've already mentioned it a few times, but I have a toddler and she is Fascinating. Watching a toddler figure out how to do things is absolutely fascinating. And so I guess what I'm curious about right now, what might be my next super deep dive and just, you know, adding adding a shelf to my bookshelf would be I'm interested in early childhood development and the neurobiology and and like sense sensory. developments behind all of that. It's yeah. Yeah. It's a that's a big question mark that I have recently become very curious and interested in.
0: Yeah. It's super interesting to see these little people. And like, you know, I guess you teach high school, so maybe it's different, but like even in the classroom you see kids developing, but it's different when it's your own kid and you see from the very, you know, the blob stage too. It's <laughs> <That's laughs>
1: like, like the minutiae of, you know, seeing her figure out how to like, she, <laughs> this week she started like thumping her chest, like a gorilla and just watching the different stages of like being able to get her hands in the right position and like yeah. thump in a rhythm. Like all of that is, is like a learning process. Mm-hmm. And oh. it's so much, it's so many things are involved in that one little movement so she's really giving me a better appreciation of just how our brains grow and and mm-hmm. how our brains I don't know like how how we become in control of our bodies it's all, it's all interesting
0: to me Ooh.
1: to me yes
0: <laughs> yeah no i think to most parents yeah but I don't know.
1: <laughs> it's cool. It's yes, a pretty cool thing to watch. Totally
0: Okay, fun little question. What is mm-hmm. your go-to order at your favorite restaurant?
1: Here's the thing. My favorite restaurants are super bougie places that I can only eat once every like couple of years. Yeah. But I eat a lot of Domino's. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> I know that's like... And my husband thinks I'm crazy because he will make pizza at home for me. He loves to make pizza from scratch and... Uh. You know, every few weeks I talk him into like, let's just order pepperoni and jalapeno pizza from Domino's and he'll give in. And it is the highlight. The uh. highlight. <laughs> I lo- I'm just a garbage person and I love garbage
0: food. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know, my husband teases me that like my favorite if I was asked that question it would be like mac and cheese or something. <laughs> I'm like God, mac and yeah. cheese is amazing. <laughs> it is.
1: It's true. I'm I'm definitely like an ice cream pizza and chips like garbage person. <laughs> Give it to me.
0: <laughs> uh, so good. Keeps you going, fuels you. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else, like anything I should have asked but didn't? I have a lot of opinions
1: about whiteness in the art room. Yeah, I don't know. Everyone should be my friend on the internet. 'Cause I've been because yes. I'm not working, I really am posting so much. And yeah. If you wanna if you wanna be a part of my mission <laughs> this, this mission system, mission trip that I'm on right now. <laughs> oh.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's yeah, I'm like, give me one tip on decentering whiteness in the art room. And it's like, no, it's there's so not big. one thing. It's so big. Oh. It's worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. Work. I guess
1: here's one thing. Here's one thing that was I don't think I discussed yet, but I would throw in as like one tip for decentering whiteness. Yeah. I think we need to think about whiteness as more than just like the content. Like we need to think about what is white culture, mm-hmm. and the culture of whiteness in our schools is the culture of preparing people for the American workforce. So one big part of decentering whiteness in your art classroom, I think, is just. Ignoring that mandate completely. Mm -hmm. Like, don't care if kids are late. Let Mm -hmm. kids turn in late work. Let them be their whole selves in the classroom. Let them speak out of turn. Let them be equal partners in the learning. Let them choose what you should cover in your curriculum this year. (laughs) Just find ways to break. Any of the expectations in your classroom that feel in the least bit oppressive, mm-hmm. because that that feeling of oppressiveness, that feeling like this school thing is just a job mm-hmm. that we all have to do. Like, I'm sorry, that's that's whiteness. Mm-hmm. That's white culture. And we don't have to do
0: that either. Uh mm-hmm. ah. I feel like that's really hard advice, probably for a lot of people to hear. (laughs) Like, I think we just exploded some brains. (laughs) Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's
1: (laughs) fun. It's it's, worthwhile. It's big, big, but it's worthwhile.
0: Yeah. Okay, final things. Is there anybody that you would like to kind of thank or give a shout out to?
1: I would like to thank all of my professors and all of the authors that they made me read. And I would like to thank my partner who let me order Domino's tonight. (laughs) Yes. So thanks for that, Dan. (laughs) Thank you for reaching out to me. This was really fun. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And sort of final thing, where can listeners connect with you online?
1: You can find me at Miss Mernick Art. Actually, it's Ms. Ms. Mernick Art. On Instagram and that is the only internet I do I don't Facebook or Twitter or anything I don't really know why I even still had Instagram but I've started using (laughs) it way more since I've been quarantined because I miss human beings so much so find me there be my friend
0: yes and connect And she's posting amazing content. So, yes. Thanks. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing so much and for continuing to, like, educate me and educate others for being the teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, I felt so fired up by our conversation and could have talked for hours. My five-year-old had other ideas, though, and decided that this was the night to stay up until Mama could come back and sing her to sleep. She's usually asleep before I record an interview, but she woke up pretty much as soon as I left the bedroom this time and refused to go to sleep for Papa. So if it felt rushed near the end, it was because I realized she was not going to go back down for him and I needed to get in there. (laughs) Don't miss our blog post for some great author recommendations and resources from Alicia. It's linked in the show notes so you can easily find it. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at teachingartistpodcast on Instagram or teachingartistpodcast at gmail.com. Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you.